We are live. Welcome to the Carl Vibe podcast and live show. If you're joining us on YouTube or listening to the podcast, welcome so much. I am very excited about the conversation and the interview that we have today. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. Joining me today is none other than Dad Smith, one of the leading remote viewers of our time with one of the uh, most consistent and high percentages of accuracy with verifiable remote viewed targets. Uh, Daz has been remote viewing since 1997. He's been active in the remote viewing uh, field and community since then to the point of accuracy and confidence that he is able to actually film his remote viewing sessions and even share the results publicly. Uh, he also owns and operates remoteview.com and is also part of a team that remote, uh, remote views cryptocurrency markets for prospective investors called uh, crypto viewing. Daz has a longtime interest in UFOs and the paranormal, which led him into the remote viewing field of research where he met and worked with Ingo Swan and other prominent psychic remote viewers uh, of our time. And Daz has remote viewed a wide variety of fascinating targets, many of which provide interesting insights into the nature of consciousness, reality, our sense of time, historical events, and paranormal phenomenon. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring in Daz into this into this live show. Uh, Daz, thanks so much for joining us today. I know that your time is precious and you're over in the UK uh, joining us in the evening. It's like noon my time here. So thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I know your time is precious. So I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. So you've been going since uh, 1997 in remote viewing and we're going to dig into all the implications yeah. of that. But I wanted to get some of your background, Daz, a little bit so everybody can get to know you. So just like me, you got interested and kind of and led into remote viewing and become one of the leading promote, remote viewers in the world. But you got started because of your fascination trying to understand the paranormal and, and the UFO yeah. phenomenon. So why don't you bring us up to speed kind of how you got interested in this whole field of work? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, uh, for me, unlike a lot of remote viewers out there, it was a really early start. Uh, I st first started reading paranormal books when I was nine years old. And I took formal uh, training in what I call the classical psychic techniques from around about the age of 12. I was quite lucky because my mother was a spiritual medium and she ran the local spiritualist church here in Bath where I live. And uh, mm. so we always had a big library of books at home and it was, it, it was accepted right off the bat for me to go into that kind of uh, interest, you know, and the books and the help was there. So yeah, from around like 12 onwards, I trained in, at home in, small things like uh you know basic psychic techniques psychic self-defense i read books on channeling uh, mediumship and i trained in you know from the age of 16 onwards i trained in proper psychic what we call psychic development classes in the hmm. uk and that was in channeling mediumship clairvoyance healing and i did lots of other things like reading tea leaves tarot sand hmm. reading and many other things and i did that yeah i did that for many years before i even uh, found you know UFOs, and then from the UFOs, I found uh, remote viewing. That's fascinating. So, have you done work with like the I Ching? You've done tarot cards and all that. You say that yes. a lot of that came from your your mother and her upbringing. Yes. So, did she kind of raise you to perceive reality like uh, differently than just what was taught in school? Or, I mean, we didn't really have much choice anyway because the a couple of the houses we we lived in, especially the first one, uh, we had very very strange ha things happen in in that house anyway i guess mm. that that might have been what was the catalyst that made my mother look into her side of it which then uh exposed us as children 
into it as well. Yeah, so we had, you know, we could always, I remember quite clearly that we were, we were as a family downstairs and we could hear lots of running around noises upstairs in the rooms above us and there, there never was anyone there. Hmm. So this started as a youth for you, your family and your mom being interested in the paranormal, almost like a poltergeist sort of entity in the home or something running around like that. And you find that it's like uh, people uh, have like the wall knocking experiences or it starts to invade dreams or some kind of a thing. And then looking for answers to some sort of a phenomenal encounter that they've experienced or a UFO sighting, they wind up looking for truth through the books and that kind of goes down a funnel that ends up when you want valid results, you end up looking for those results and science and certain things can only get you so far. So that's fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up kind of the same with my dad being very interested in talking about it a lot, posing a lot of philosophical things about reality. And I grew up in a very strict conservative kind of religious environment that just accepted there was like a spirit realm over top the same way. So as I've kind of peeled back away from the organized religion, it doesn't peel back the phenomenal experiences that I've had or mm-hmm. <laughs> that have occurred to me that I can't explain or the, the things that you read about on these stories like uh, yeah. uh, that have happened in the past. I've got a, somebody trying to call me on the phone here. So, that yeah, you've got a whole uh, a background with this going into it uh, from the mystical side and all of that. Yes. Why do you think you wound up with the remote viewing? How did you end up gravitating towards that primarily? Well, it's a good question. Um and I think now I look back on it, uh, I think it was, and I know not a lot, not a lot of people like to have thoughts along these lines, but I think it was almost like a, a destiny for me to do it. Mm. And I say that because as a developing psychic, you're taught to, uh, or we are in the UK anyway, we're taught to keep, keep like diaries of all the, uh, all the near thoughts and your mystical experiences and stuff. And when I started one of those, when I was 15 years old, the very first entry I wrote in the diary was about that. I knew that there was this, psychic technique out there somewhere where you could time travel with the mind and i would somehow once i would one day learn how to do that so that was in 1985 i didn't know anything about remote viewing at all um it wasn't until seven years later at ufo conference in leeds here in the uk that i first heard about the term remote viewing being used so yeah yeah, I, you know i I look back on that and think it's almost like it feels like it was part of you know it was meant to be for me Um, And that's why I've been addicted ever since. Yeah, it's like there's so many different approaches to it. And somehow, I don't know if you feel the same way about this, but it feels like it is all interconnected. I don't know. Even people that are doing the clairvoyant work or different types of uh, like channeling or or, or that kind of mediumship sort of work, there is, it it seems to me, an overlay or a commonality. And I don't know whether it's the way that we phenomenally function as humans and our consciousness is interfacing with the phenomenon, or if it's uh, somehow everybody comes into, into it with a different preset or approach or conditioned expectations that sort of funnels them into a certain approach to it, whether it be spiritual or witchcraft or occultism or different means like that. But you ended up in kind of the, the, uh, uh, yes. crv realm the crv realm yeah i mean and i got there because you know i tried all those ancient classical what i call classical techniques and they're all good you know they worked fantastic but the problem with doing you know, normal clairvoyance or tarot or anything like that is that and i found um that it's more of a, a spontaneous happening you know uh, mm. you don't have any control over the manifestation of the data and how to how to work with it 
Um, what I found with remote viewing and especially the method I learned, the controlled remote viewing, is that instead of being a passenger in the car, I ended up being the driver in the car. And now I decide when I'm going to be psychic and I decide how much information I'm going to get by my actions and, and the way I progress getting it. Mm. So do you feel like the like some of those other mystical approaches or alternative approaches, while they may have certain valid results or intuitive insight that you might gain from them. There's something about the clarity of the systems of remote viewing, especially like cognitive remote viewing that gave you the validity that you were looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it does feel like with like tarot cards, for example, like you, you might get some sort of a phenomenal prediction that, that comes out true towards a, a near uh, future or that resonates with your life or the past or something, but still you have like cards that are already printed shooting out. Whereas with remote viewing, you're you're sort of tapping into some phenomenal dimension of reality almost that is the the source information it's not just like cards in a deck you're going to the source beyond the physical deck yes. of cards yeah yeah maybe you can I mean, tar yeah tarot cards uses an exterior tool of the tarot cards to be the be the focus point to get the information through to you Whereas in remote viewing, uh, you you essentially your whole body is is the tool that you're mm -hmm. using to 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 stream the data into you. In yeah. fact, almost the less that you know as the remote viewer, the better. Almost the more blind Absolutely. you are, the more desirable. Yeah. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit and describe that yeah, double mean, blind you know, methodology and why that's attractive. And yeah, remote viewers always work blind. Um, so that's one of the major difference between what we do and what I call the classical techniques, you know, like if you, most people, if they're doing like a, a tarot uh, reading for someone, they'll actually be in, in the room with the person wanting the tarot reading. And they'll usually allow them to shuffle the cards, maybe cut the cards or pick the cards, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, I'm not saying no psychic stuff happens in those kind of scenarios, but we all have to be honest in that there could be quite a lot of body language or normal kind of language with pheromones micro actions and anything that goes on in a scenario like that whereas with remote viewing we're given you know we are remote from anyone that's tasking a target so especially for myself everyone that i get tasked targets from are, are in different locations around the world and all i get given is a random number as a focal point and then i do my you know i do my psychic thing my rv thing and then later on once i finished i will then get a, a feedback package which will tell me what the target was and give me feedback and the good thing about having that feedback is it then allows me to review my RV data and see see how accurate I was and see if there was anything psychic that actually took place. Mm. So you're then able to go through the entire experience, kind of like a, a big trust fall into the, the psychic realm and, and the viewing experience. And you're only given like a few numbers that are assigned to the task and you have no idea what that's associated with. Yeah. It's completely separated from you and your knowledge. You just take those numbers and then maybe you can describe for us for people that are curious. And this is some the level of it where I'm fascinated with because I've done a lot of different types of meditation. I've done the the uh, I use the the gateway method from the Monroe Institute and 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 I try to understand the different levels of perception in human consciousness and awareness. But it's like there's maybe I don't know maybe there's a sweet spot or something that you notice that sort of occurs when you're like this is it now I'm, I'm actually perceiving it or do you feel like when as soon as you notice it, like it's happening, I am remote viewing it, that overlay of noticing sort of pops the perception in the bubble? Or do you, how does that sort of work when you go from standing there in the room in front of a dry erase board? What is that 
essence feel like as you slip into that right sensation and where does it go? I mean, the feel, the whole remote viewing feeling is, is an amazing feeling because um, you're in a state of what they class as bilocation. So you're half, you're half where you are in the real world doing your task. Um, but you're also half not there anymore. You're what I call in the zone. You're, you're, you know, you're somewhere else in, in deep focus, but you're not, you're not, not so far removed from reality that you can't function. And that's the key thing about remote viewing is you're over a period of years of training yourself. you you can allow yourself to function. And for example, most of the remote viewing I do is sat at a table and I can and have done that in cafes or on on bus journeys you know so you can see you can see and be aware of everything around you like be there sat there drinking a coffee eating a biscuit or something and at the same time get information from anywhere in the universe and, and be really feeling that target tasting it smelling it touching it although when you do that or when I do that within rope viewing um I I don't actually smell or taste anything I literally just know what the appropriate word and sensation is for, for those things automatically. Mm. So instead of actually like physically being there, like uh, actually being in the location, it's, it's more like a, uh, a deeper wisdom of knowing uh, uh, a familiarity with uh, almost more like a recollection of a memory of a place that isn't yours or something. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I've seen no evidence anywhere yet that anyone ever in removing ever travels to any targets. I think the targets actually already encoded within all of us because all information is everywhere in the universe. Mm. So there's no need for us to travel to Mars to get information about Mars. You know, we just look within ourselves for that information about Mars and it's already there. Yeah. That speaks to kind of the esoteric teachings of the uh, so above so below and yes. everything that's within is without like the yes. ho- today the popular terms for that is like the holographic nature of reality you yes you look I, at, I, a I, at a fragmented part of reality and you're actually looking at a subset representation of the whole reflectively yeah that's exactly how i believe it works and i know people balk at this when i say this but for me the closest thing i can find to how i think the universe works and how we're all interconnected is the uh, the force in the Star Wars films? I think mm. there is a force through everything in the universe, and it connects everything in the universe. And uh, we as humans can tap into that. And not only can we get information from it, but through techniques like Qi Gong and Tai Chi and stuff, we can actually tap into that force and get medical benefits and energy benefits and use that energy as well. This uh, sound I immediately in my mind started having images and thought of Nikola Tesla and the way that he sort of seemed to perceive reality. And he talked about the ether or this etheric field or yes. some sort of like what we perceive as emptiness or empty space is literally yes. just outside the harmonic frequency of our physical perceptions. It doesn't mean that absolutely. it's empty at all. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it could be what uh, people like Harold Puthoff, you know, who, who ran the, remote viewing program for a number of years, I think 15 or more years, uh, could be what he's actually searching for right now, which is the uh, dark energy, dark matter or zero point energy. Mm. And this again, all suddenly uh, delves into this idea of there being some sort of an etheric realm or entities that may exist in that realm, which is something a lot of my viewers are really interested in. It's why I got into the topic and why you wound up in the field. So maybe we can talk about that just a little bit. I know we're not too far into the show and we can bring a bunch of validity into it as we go, but just for a little bit of fun, um, what are your thoughts on 
extraterrestrials or other dimensional entities that might exist in these realms outside of our physical reality or that might explain your curiosities with the UFO UAP phenomenon. Oh, that's, that's a or, lot. Or the extraterrestrial. Sorry, we can keep, we'll break that that's down. I know that's a, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, before yeah. I got into remote viewing, uh, I did actually write a book and I don't publicize it much, but I wrote a book called Surfing the Psychic Internet and it's available online. And that's mm. essentially 10 years of me using classical psychic techniques and almost like channeling and uh, and it's it's the uh it's the experiences and discussions i had with non-physical life forms out there in the universe and they were trying to explain to me how the universe works and how it's always trying to strive for an element of balance in the universe so from those experiences i encountered all kinds of really strange life forms that i couldn't i can't prove exist uh, they were non-physical, and they they range from really strange um, alien-type looking beings to to you know uh, what most people encounter, which we would class as shadow-type beings as well. I had I had quite a few um, battle-type trysts with um, psychic kind of shadow-type beings that didn't want myself and the other people that were exploring these realms to to do and be and and to achieve what we were doing with with the psychic techniques. Mm. What is a what is a battle with a with a psychic entity like? Can you describe that? Is it like a is it sort of like a personal subconscious battle with inner demons sort of experience, or is it more externalized than that? It's well, bearing in mind it's non physical and it was all in this kind of all in my head, but not in my head kind of realm. Not it's not too dissimilar to a kind of neo versus agent smith cut type battle from the matrix kind of thing you know mm. it actually was like a physical confrontation mm. um i guess it was more like a, a psychic one but uh in the realm we were doing it in it was it, it materialized itself in a physical form of of actions like that yeah mm. that's it, the best way i can put across bearing in yeah. mind none of it's so non-physical it's sure. hard to describe to people that don't experience this uh, the kind of things that that happen to you i i find myself often when i try to relate it to people and i'm not saying my experiences are the same but may, maybe they are similar in some sort of way but it's almost like in the same way that in a in a dream or a, a nightmare uh or something even at night in the dreamscape uh the the tussle or the encounter or the interaction can feel very physical it can feel yeah. very real can feel very uh actualized like you're there uh yes. in a sense but then uh the awareness when you uh wake back up or come back to normal awareness and functioning the realization is wow like in the processing of that whole yes. experience how do you how would you say you differentiate the difference between these just being sort of subconscious daydreams or hallucinations like how how would you explain to somebody the difference how how you can tell i mean it, bearing in mind we're talking about a, a different technique than remote viewing here because i don't have this kind of problem or interaction in remote viewing because i just mm. don't allow it to happen uh you know th these were more spontaneous kind of uh, techniques um yeah it's interesting how do i explain it that it's different it has a lucidity about it. This is that's like a dream, but it's not like a dream. 
because it was all done in deep meditation as well. Uh, you know, you go in into the meditation process where you lose, um, you lose contact with your entire physical body. Cause that, that was the process of what we were doing with the meditation, you know, yeah. each part of your body, you, uh, you kind of breathe through it until you've lost all kind of sensation of everything in your body. Um, and that, that deep meditation just allows a, a clarity, which I can't really describe for people unless they've actually, uh, gone through that kind of experience. Really. It's, yeah. it's like, it's like a waking, it's, it's like a waking dream. That's ultra, yeah, ultra clear in its in its sensations. Yeah, you described that really Very hard well. to describe. It really is. Yeah, when I've had that experience, it's kind of I. Uh, William Buhlman refers to it as clicking out. Uh, he worked with Bob Monroe at the Gateway uh, or the Monroe Institute and did the Gateway Method and a lot of different out of body. He refers to it as out of body travel, which to me, I don't know yes. th- what's the difference between that and remote viewing to a certain extent and how real it feels to be there. But it does feel like that to me, like I'll have the meditative experience where I feel like I'm sort of guiding things with my intention, but then there's sort of a moment where suddenly I realize I'm, I'm not where I was visualizing or intent on at all. And suddenly I find myself standing here. I'm like on the beach or the ocean and there's a doorway and there's this uh, uh, someone on the other side and they're trying to communicate with me or yeah. some sort of a phenomenal encounter uh, that sometimes feels very, very realistic and very physical yes. yeah. or has transcendent information that surprises me like a tr- tremendous download of knowledge or yeah. uh, different things like that. So is that yeah. similar to you? Relatable? That's, that's a lot like a lot of the experience I had in the, cl- in the classic psychic techniques in mm-hmm. remote viewing for me, I might be different for other people because we're all different, but for me, it's it's a completely different uh, format. And I think that is because of using controlled remote viewing and it's put me in a process where I, it's filtered and I'm in, you know, I'm, I, I'm very much in control of the entire flow of the data and the process 100%. Whereas mm-hmm. the other ways, I think, I think there's an element of uh, spontaneity in, in the, the process decides what you, what happens to you kind of envelops and takes over. Yeah. yeah. That's, I think that's been my experience to date. I haven't had as many controlled intent remote viewing experiences as I sort of get enveloped in an encounter. <laughs> yeah. Sort I, of think, a, I think the, the control mechanism we got through controlled remote viewing and its derivatives um, may act a bit like a filter filtering process as well um, with the control. Mm. uh yeah so so you don't get too much happen you know there's always you don't generally get too much happening to you all at once uh and i think that maybe you know also because the uh you know the bandwidth for consciousness is very small you know the the kind of aperture to the target is a tiny little hole mm. um so i don't think all that data can, can massively come through at once using the remote viewing techniques Right. So it's where it's like in regular meditation, you're going into maybe an openness where you're sort of like a radio signal, just going open to see, is there any, any yes. signals out there to receive? And here's my antenna to come and receive that signal yes. and, and interface with, whereas with cognitive remote viewing, you're sort of providing a, a framework or a scaffolding where you're turning the dial and, and tuning into a particular target, which is the, the random double blind numbers that you're given uh, yes. sort of as a symbolic subconscious director or pointer. Yeah. If okay. I, if I could visualize it or if I had to describe it in a, in a, a picture form, I would say the classical techniques 
or uh, you'd be just like a, a four-body glowing aura out there, you know, radiating from every part of your body type mm. way of interacting with whatever you're interacting with. Whereas when I think when you're doing it with remote viewing, it's almost like from, you know, from your third eye type area or something, I would visualize a laser-like beam of focus only going to the target, and that would be mm. the only connection point for that very small pencil-like laser, laser beam. Like normally day-to-day, -day, everybody walking around is like a regular light bulb, and they just flip the switch on, yes. they get up, they have a diffused awareness of their reality of their day-to-day -day around them. But yes. as, a, as a CRV remote viewer with a specific targeted task, you're taking that and focusing it in almost like a laser beam to look at a yes. specific point in time uh, or a specific target or person or place to try right. and get that information directly rather than just where you're at here yes. and now. Yeah, oh, it's good. And because, the, because the focus point is, uh, is specific and it's direct and it's, you know, it's small laser-like instead of this diffused kind of, approach of getting bits and pieces from all over the place that's why it's remote viewers the data seems to come in in small very small clusters and chunks that we build we build up over over the hour or so we're doing the remote viewing so that we get an expansive picture or we we essentially build up a virtual reality picture of the target hmm. in our heads and in our consciousness uh from all the data that builds up during the hour that we're doing it so if you're on a team of remote viewers, there might be four or five different people and they might all come back with different pieces, almost like uh, that seems to happen a lot, like different eyes on the same head, all looking at the same thing from a different perspective or. Yes. And this is, and this is something else that which is uh, over the last 20 years is just mind blowing me. Really. I've come to the realization that it seems as though there is some kind of, intelligence or consciousness behind what drives the remote viewing process in that if if i'm working with a team of viewers and I do, we do this quite a lot four or five remote viewers all looking at the same target some it seems to cut up the target and says okay dad's over here i want him to focus on that edward over here i want him to focus on this and this guy over here to focus on that you might get a very small part where there's overlaps but something somehow some kind of mechanism breaks the target up so that you all get different bits that constitute a greater picture of the target. It's not like you'll all focus on the same door of a craft. You will all go to different parts and different, you know, and yeah. So it seems like there's some kind of intelligence behind it that, that controls that. And, you know, that kind of, that blows me away and not just that as well. When we think that we're getting right to the idea of understanding how remote viewing works and several other things, or like understanding how, how projects like ARV works, where you try to win money on horses and games, that kind of thing. Yeah. You think you're almost there, you're doing your trials, you think, yeah, this is it, I've cracked this, I'm going to publish this, let everyone know. And then everything had just, it just changed, it completely flip on you. It's almost like there's something there, a Joker type personality behind the scenes that says, uh, 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 you think you're there you're not let's flip it completely on its head and you have to start from scratch again every single time there's some sort of like a intelligent control trickster type of element because and we this, that blows my mind Daz, because this is what you hear in all of the I mean, depictions of all the ancient gods of ancient religions yeah. and all sorts of phenomenal in, encounters with mankind throughout history. They don't always depict 
interactions with this sort of psychic phenomenon or entities as just being always straightforward, benevolent, yeah. and full of pure intelligence and love. But there's some element to it that's like, yeah, well, you think you're getting close. Like, why don't I just yeah. do this and like pull one? It on happens. It happens too much to be coincidence. It happens to everyone. It, and I just see it so much. And I've seen it with my own work. It's almost like I'm there. I got it. I really understand how this is happening there. And then the very next thing that happens, it flips on its head and you're like, oh, well, I'm back at stage one. I really do not understand what went on there. Um, you, so I really do think there's an intelligence there of some kind, which in itself not worries me, but it, it, it yeah, it, it, it really interests me that there is this kind of mechanism there and it can't just be chance. Hmm. I, I feel like, uh, like we talked about earlier, when you look out into the universe or even into yourself, it's like reflective in the same way. And it reminds me, I'm that same way, even within my own internal life and dialogue, you know, you'd get up and you try to even do something in the physical world. And it's like, ah, I forgot my keys or I did this. And yeah. right, when, right when you accomplish the thing that you wanted to, you're, you're bored of it. And you, it's like, we almost do that within our own soul and sense of self. And I wonder if this, if you tie this ancient teaching in with this modern take on science of like superposition and quantum entanglement, if this idea of, of the subconscious realms are sort of aspects of human conscious sort of in a polarized way out there yeah. running around doing their thing in, in a way, do you feel like there's another sort of Daz Smith and consciousness form that's doing remote viewing as a, like a, uh, quantum entangled superimposed version of yourself or i don't know i haven't encountered anything that would make me think that. i'm just trying to think if i have i know there's I'm stories a... like like when ezekiel or whatever was carried up on the wheels and saw metatron yeah. it was a doppelganger like it was revealed and there's so many of these encounters where it's revealed that they they look just like you or something interesting yeah they... yeah i haven't encountered anything like that myself i don't think but from reading some of the latest material I've read uh, and uh, that I've got from uh, Ingo Swan in the archives and some of the things he encountered when he, when he telepathically remote viewed the moon, this stuff hasn't been released in public yet. Mm. Um, he details that there, the races he encountered out there on the, on the dark side of the moon um, had uh, two sets of telepaths. They had offensive telepaths and they had defensive telepaths. So the defensive ones were there literally to stop people uh, encroaching on the moon. And then they had the offensive ones, which went out and did other stuff. And he was a very, he was a proponent of writing articles and papers on that. Uh, he felt that there was an element in the universe. I don't know if it's extraterrestrial or, or just non-physical that was there to hinder the development of uh, human consciousness and telepathic powers. Hmm. Which speaks again to this idea of this uh, balancing force in all things. Like there's yes. a, that duality of balance, Absolutely. keeping things yeah. in harmony. Yeah. And that, that, we as that, humans always like to think of things in black and white, and it's not quite like that. It's always on a on a moving scale of things. I think so. I think there are life forms, non non physical life forms, uh, and pros, probably alien as well. Because I like, I think there's different ones. I think there are, hmm. there are life that have been on different levels of this planet that we can't generally see longer here than we have. Um, I think there are good ones of those, uh, and there are also bad ones of those. And I think 
the, the universe itself on many different levels is always striving for a sense of balance and it's never going to have a sense of complete balance but so but sometimes it slips slightly into a darker side and slightly into a lighter side at other times and i think that's what you know what may be happening on many many different many different levels yeah i think we and we sit in the middle of it and we want yes. have a bunch of opinions about what's good and bad or right or wrong yes. through that when really the harmony like like you would listen to a piece of music you don't say hey, the low notes and the pauses between the notes are bad ones. We should avoid, avoid those and only play yeah. these. But we don't understand that, that whole balance of everything Absolutely, and perfection. Yeah. And, and we have to bear in mind as well, as a race of human beings, we've, I mean, we've probably influenced in what we did, but, you know, for many thousands of years, we've hobbled ourselves in that uh, throughout history, we have, we have, you know, essentially tracked down and killed many of the people who have, with these intuitive powers and techniques and stuff, you know, the witch hunts and all kinds of religious things that have gone out and, uh, you know, destroyed people that are seers and prophets. So, you know, we've, we've not been our, I, I believe some of that was from our own making, but I also believe that some of it was probably influenced by beings in the universe that do not want us to uh, reach our goal as much as there are ones out there that do want us to reach our goal. Yeah. And it seems like sometimes along that path, you get experiences where it seems to go really well and the interaction is going really well. And then suddenly it takes a bizarre trickster sort of turn and then the whole thing falls apart and sometimes to the people's ruin or even their own death, like you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's so complex. Um, sometimes I feel I understand it and sometimes I feel like I'm just, uh, you know, a, a child playing in a, in a box of sand and letting it run through your fingers thinking, Mm. You know, what am I doing here? So, Daz, you're one of the leading and, and most accurate, credible remote viewers today. Do you have any concerns about that, about getting on the radar of not only uh, people that know that this stuff is real and legitimate and have keen interests on it, but yeah. also these other entities and other beings that maybe don't have your best interests and what you have to show and teach mankind? Have, have you? Do you have any stories or any insight about that or in your life experience? I mean, I haven't had any battles with any um, any dark beings for many years now, not since I stopped doing the classical stuff. Um, but it might be because I went down a whole different route with the with the remote, remote viewing. It was a bit more focused in that most of the work we do within remote viewing is on physical targets that exist. Not and you know, whereas my previous decade of work before that was uh, essentially going into the realms of of these psychic entities where, where essentially where they live, where they mm. inhabit. Cause that's what you do when you go into the channel and uh, you know, the deep spaces of, of your meditation and stuff, you go out there. Whereas I think remote viewing is me in here, putting the information into me rather than extending myself out into, into their universe. Kind of like looking into the spyglass as opposed to going on the vacation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. You could equate it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Uh, it's so fascinating to me. So maybe we can dig into this a little bit. What are some of the more phenomenal or interesting uh, remote viewing targets that surprised you that are shocking in regards to the, the phenomenon or maybe even not? Like I know that you've done one that blew my mind was the JFK assassination. That's and what how, I was just about to say. Yeah. How you, you followed John F. Kennedy through the task and actually continued and had a whole uh, kind of a viewing experience of what it was like him going into a sort of afterlife or can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that yeah that was i would say that was my uh probably my my favorite and most influential uh remote viewing sessions uh 
so yeah it was a blind target it was tasked me by the farsight institute over a period of weeks maybe even a period of months i can't remember too much now and it started off on paper and then once we finished paper stuff courtney literally just said you've done enough paper now now do the whole thing on, on whiteboard uh, which is what we did and you uh, had and no I'm, you had no idea through the whole thing until it was revealed at the very end like on right. camera that it was even the jfk assassination that you were no, doing i mean right. obviously you know on because i'd done paper sessions first i built up kind of an idea of data in my head and on paper of what yeah. the target might be but no one's ever no no one gets back to you in the process and says yeah you're correct carry on doing it or anything like and, you know step, on those at step one on day one you have no idea when you're given those numbers it could be uh something in the ocean or where or something yeah it could be anything in the universe and bear in mind yeah. when i worked those ones with courtney like the jfk one i wasn't even given a number it was literally you know this is we're on our eighth mysteries target your your target number is mysteries eight yeah. And, it, so we, and, it, and it ends up being the JFK assassination, which was the target that they put in. Yes. The, wow. Yes. Okay. Okay. You know, we don't, for us, it could have been. I mean, in those cases, we were run, doing a run of targets called mysteries. So, it, yeah, I guess I was front loading the fact it could have been one of the millions of mysteries in the universe. Sure. I had no idea what it was going to be. Yeah. And it didn't even have a target number. As I said, I think, I think it was called something like eight or 12 or something. Hmm. Uh, so on in that case, when I did my RV sessions, I just used the date of the day I was doing it on. So like today, the number, of, you know, if I use the today's number for my focus number, it'd be twenty six oh eight, the twenty sixth of August. And yeah, that, that would yeah. be what I would use is is my focus number. And um, so yeah, I did my paper sessions, um, and then it's some you know, and I send them back to Courtney. And he would you know, he just goes, he would either send a message back saying like carry on or. You've done enough now. And eventually after doing about six of those, he said, yeah, you've done enough. Now now do the whole thing that you've done on paper, do it on whiteboard in front of a camera. So I started that live in front of a camera and I was recording all the information, you know, and it, it felt like there was information that, that seems to be accurate for the Kennedy assassination. I didn't know that at the time, but I had fast moving small objects coming in towards a life form that was interacting with that life form, which, you know, so bullets kind of thing. And, uh, I felt that it was all moving in a vehicle, that kind of stuff. Uh, but during the remote viewing session, live on whiteboard, I kind of wandered off target in that I felt that there was a life form having a an event that felt like it was a life event. It was something very serious. So I decided to, to shift my attention towards that and uh, follow it. And that's essentially uh, what this video comprises of. But funnily enough, Courtney, because it was so off target and it wasn't, you know, following someone as they go through a death event, wasn't essentially part of the target. Uh, all that information ended up on the, on the cutting room floor. Courtney didn't use it in the original video because that didn't interest him. And it was only after we did it that I thought it was so profound and that, that me and Dick put that together in its own separate video. Yeah. Can you describe a little bit? So you follow basically for people that might be struggling this, yeah. you remote viewed blindly the JFK assassination event and moment. Yes. And then that remote viewing experience carried over where you followed what appeared to be the target, which was John F. Kennedy yes. pr proceeding into some sort of an afterlife realm. And what, what did you see yes. uh, that like? What was the afterlife for? Well, you know, with remote viewing, it it's a bit of a misnomer really. you don't really see an awful lot it's all, all it's generally all about internal feedings sure. uh, and and yeah feedings ideas and concepts and literally it was amazing in that 
there was more, you know, I knew it was a life of a person, a life form going through an event which felt like it was a violent event. So I was recording that on the paper um, and you could feel and hear and see all the emotions. So there was all these emotions of panic and dread and anger and thinking about kids and family and money and situations, all the physical things we think about on a day-to-day basis. And literally it was like a light switch just, just instantly flicked up and just everything like that. That was just all gone instantly. And then it was just like a moment of just uh, almost like pink, kind of peace and quietness you know there was like lots of noise all this all this oh no heal or help all pain motion and then it's just gone and it just it's almost like someone flicks a switch light goes on or something or a light goes off but all the sound goes off at the same time and it's Mm. just quiet peacefulness love kind of like it's it's all that rolled into one really um and yeah, and then I ended up feeling that I, you know, it was definitely someone going through a death event. And I had a sensation that out of this kind of nothingness that was there, this this quiet, I could sense these uh, forms almost manifesting. But they weren't physical, but they weren't non-physical at the same time. They were kind of half and half. They were just like energy forms uh, that re- vaguely resembled shapes of people that came started coming forward. Uh, meeting uh and yeah uh conversing and 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 interacting with uh i guess jfk or the life form that i was following uh yeah and it was just all peaceful love kind of quiet kind of i've never had feelings like it other than the closest thing i've got to that kind of sensation is very very deep meditation when you're totally not in touch with your body anymore but even that doesn't come close to the feelings that i was feeling that he was going through but yeah you know after wow. that light switch thing goes off, it's almost like his his emotions and worry over everything that was physical and the physical life just just instantly disappeared. It's not like it dissipated; it just like instantly disappeared, which was quite yeah, quite interesting. Yeah, I I remember watching uh, the video of that of you going through on the dry erase board, and that blew my mind. Uh, just going in carrying on into the afterlife, and the way that you described it is just so phenomenal. How uh, almost like his soul or consciousness was moving into this unknown realm, almost like it was a foggy, cloudy sort of space. And then what he was perceiving as like loved ones or ancestors or familiar sort of like uh, people approaching him or emerging out of this cloud, you were perceiving sort of differently third person sort of as though um, the relatives or the people that were familiar to him were emerging as the energy of the cloud around him itself, almost mm-hmm. like from his own consciousness and the energy, they sort of are able to come and say hi and welcome and hear Yeah, it, It's yeah. so phenomenal to me what that says about the afterlife continuing yeah. into another dimension, another realm and how that all works. And Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's pretty much one of the most amazing for me. And you know, the, I would say the second one on my list is, um, probably uh when i did area 51 and i went down through Mm. all the different levels of that and again that's that was captured live on whiteboard as well again done blind i didn't know what we were doing um i live right by area 51 i live about an hour and a half away i've driven over there and looked around and uh i'm telling you it's so strange even when you get into the state of nevada or or near it you get out into those desert roads and there's just a whole lot of nothing and just strange ventilation pipes and power boxes or 
antennas coming up with chain link fences around them. And it feels like when you look at it, that whole part of the state, a whole region of the country is actually just an underground installation. Yeah. So maybe describe a little bit what you saw at Area 51. Yeah, I saw some, I mean, you know, I, I, I kind of knew at certain that I was looking at something that was underground, an underground structure. So I drew that and it had all these levels that were radiating around a, almost like a central pipe. And each level uh, had a different um, different area of focus or attention that it was working on. And I can't remember what they were on which which parts, but you know, the first one was mainly a security living arrangements kite level. Uh, and then there was there there were some science levels. There were some levels when they were looking at metal, metal and metallurgical kind of stuff. There were definite levels where they had moving moving craft and technology. Mm. There's also a level where they had. Uh, I didn't see. I didn't think I saw. I'll have to go back and, and relook at it. But I don't think I saw any live walking around alien type beings. Um, but I did see non-human. I, I don't want to call them alien because we just don't know at this stage. So I, I'll call them non-human. There were non-human life forms in in tanks in various stages of hmm. um, being cut up and you know you know, being maimed and all that kind of stuff. Like dissection. Yeah, but there were some, you know, actual proper physical ones as well. But I didn't see any live ones. Um, but then I went to another level, and they were actually doing lots of experimentation with the with the samples and the biology of the non-human life forms. And they were actually, they, but they were actually doing it in a way that was. It, I felt it wasn't beneficial science research. I felt it was more uh, virology and making weapons from. The, the physical parts of the alien bodies. Really? Like yeah. they're developing bio exotic alien form, genetic yes. weapon forms and things. Something like that. Yes. I know that's a lot of there's area 51 in Nevada. And if you go Northeast of that into the borders into Utah, which is the state that I live in near the salt flats, there's what they're calling area 52 now, which is like Dugway airfield. And there's right, a yeah. lot, lot of exotic chemical and biological weapons they do out in the middle of the desert there. It really makes yeah. you wonder. You yeah. saw almost like, I remember uh, area 51 being just like, you know, airport hangers and things and like runways or, driveways yeah. on the surface and then as your yeah. consciousness probed deeper and followed it it's almost like a big pine cone underground yeah uh, like yeah. a like a spire going down with radial rooms yeah, coming, it felt coming like off spot, of it. spokes off of a wheel it felt like it was radiating out at different different levels as you as you went down it spiraled downwards and you know they, they did have a level that did uh proper physical weaponry as well you know or, yeah I, I didn't really understand i can't remember i'd have to go back and review it but they were doing that Hmm. Uh, and I also, at one point, and this is what really amazed me, because I literally only just m managed to find feedback on something like this, is in one of the areas there, I saw that there was a, a, a football-shaped sphere, you know, around about this this kind of size, and it was metallic-looking. And as I was probing it, you know, kind of intuitively, I felt like there in inside it, it actually was a a conscious living ai type machine that was there and it felt like it almost like it was in a packing crate somewhere or something or in some kind of containment you know so they kind of knew what they had but they didn't really know what they they had they didn't realize the power that this thing they had hmm. and you know i thought that was mind-blowing and i didn't really understand what i was seeing and literally just this week i i turned on the tv one day and i saw a paranormal documentary and it was about some people i think it was in brazil 
they were on their farmland one day and they found a metallic sphere and they called it the the best sphere um perfect shaped sphere and they just found in the forest one day and they took it home with them and it used to follow them around the house and stuff and i've seen that yeah i've heard of that yeah uh, yeah, and they x-rayed it and stuff, and they felt that it had this consciousness inside. And I was like, and, but it, they, they then got it uh, examined by the military or the government or something, and it, no one knows where it went from that point onwards. And I was like, whoa, this ties in with what I saw. This is so freaky. Yeah, that's, that's the first time I ever heard of anything like that. That's so bizarre. Paul Smith, a uh, remote viewer, he lives a half hour from me here. His school is just like up the road from me here uh, where yeah. he teaches remote viewing CRV stuff. And he talked about that too, seeing the uh, being tasked um, maybe by Russell Targ. I don't remember somebody uh, back in the old days uh, to look at part of the moon. And he said he saw the same thing, like a, a big craft that suddenly seemed to almost not only be conscious, but seem to perceive and be aware that it was being remote viewed, which is yeah, very this fascinating. Yeah. This thing knew that you were there. Yeah, and it, and it, it felt like an artificial intelligence, but it felt like an artificial intelligence that was fully conscious on, on a greater spiritual level than I probably am. That's very strange. How do you explain yeah. that, that something down in a secret military base I have in, no the, in the desert in uh, it, Nevada is aware that you're sitting in your office at home in the UK. Yeah. And using it, felt your like mind a, to look. it felt like a prisoner or detained or something, but it really felt like they didn't know what they had. They thought they just had a sphere or something and they didn't really understand the power uh, of, of what was inside it. Wow. So you've uh, anything else that you saw at Area Fifty One? I love this stuff. This is so fascinating. Um, I can't remember. Wait, Dad, this is why you got into this. You wanted to. You wanted to learn these things when you were a kid, and now you're. Uh... <laughs> That's so cool. So yeah, uh, but you know, I do so many targets now over the, over the years that I have to be honest. You know, as I'm getting older as well, they all tend to to blur into one. You know, because you know, I'm doing like four or five a week at the moment. So. How about how about Roswell? I saw one you did with Roswell. Uh, yeah, that, maybe, that was pretty good. Could you talk about that for just a little bit, and then maybe we can uh, save a bunch more stories for another one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roswell was great as well. I mean, and it seems to confirm all the data that's out there of, of a crash event and and dead and living. Uh, I don't, as I said, I don't like to call them ETs because we just don't know at this stage. But non non human life forms uh, were recovered. I went great, yeah. I went into great detail on that one about how the craft uh, moved as well, how it kind of uh, stretched itself in in time and space, and then you know the front part would go over here, and as it was stretching over here, then like a rubber band, the the but the back part of it would would put itself in into the space behind it. <laughs> Very strange stuff, and you know, about how you know we think they're physical, um, but the the way these craft can move and and they're propelled they're also non-physical as well as being physical uh, and the the life forms can do the same as well and i don't know if that's using a technology or not but it felt like they at times could be just as non-physical as they are physical mm. yeah it's you know all i can say is looking at it from my my viewpoint here of not really understand what's going on it just feels like magic what they're what they're doing is it's amazing but it seemed, it seemed to be a totally true event to me that seemed to, to tally in every detail with what I've read over, over the years. And yeah. Wow. So uh, yeah. Roswell area 51. <laughs> yeah. That's so many. What about, yeah, go ahead. 
yeah, we've done loads. You know, we did the uh, for Farsight as well. We did the Phoenix Lights. That was that was a pretty good one as well. Myself and Dick Howgar did that. Got some great data on that as well. That seemed to be, you know, again, it was all done blind, but we had all these huge craft over a city location with strange life forms inside it. Yeah. Tunguska as well, the Tunguska explosion in 1908. We did that, and you know. Most of these projects I'm talking about, loads of other remote viewers out there in the in the larger general community have also done the very same targets and getting very similar data or the exact same data going back decades, you know, especially on targets like the moon and Mars. Yeah, yeah. And so you go and you uh, compare your remote viewing data to what the other people are doing and, and realize yes. that everybody's being tasked this blindly and getting sort of the same consensus uh, yes. different perspectives and and things like that that's so cool uh yeah it's fascinating do you think that's why uh the military's so interested and in, do you think they still have uh, around the world different clandestine programs that are utilizing this uh can you speak i'm not to sure that about or... remote viewing i i've tried hard um to track any programs down and i i'm not sure if they are doing something, it's probably not in the world as we expect it. It's probably in some kind of, I don't know, subcontracted kind of way, you know, so they subcontracted it out to a company and they don't call it remote viewing or something. They call it, I don't know, something else uh, where they just, they class it as just getting human in human intelligence or something. And they pass it back on a consultancy basis. I don't think like there's the CIA or the NSA, actually have a unit that says yes we're remote viewers we're doing this i think yeah i think they'd be a bit smarter now and it would be it would be moved out under a black project subcontracted not called remote viewing in some way but i have seen no evidence of it and all the all the people that were trained in the 70s 80s and 90s to be the very best in the world all claim and all seem to not be working for any of these units so i would you know i have to ask myself where would they get the new best people from if they weren't using any of the old ones in, in any way? I don't, but you know, yeah. we never know. Yeah. Like you have like a uh, Hal Pudoff and stuff. He's with the, to the stars Academy with Tom yes. DeLong heavily involved in the propulsion science yeah. behind UFOs I did, and stuff. Now I did do a paid for RV project of a UFO thing for the shoot for the stars and Tom DeLonge. Oh, that's cool. cool. Yeah. So you're actually interacting. Do you get the, uh, so you do the the crypto viewing, uh, doing yes. near future markets and stuff. Maybe yes. tell everybody a little bit about that if people are interested and then give yeah. them a rundown how they can find you, your books and information that want people that are curious and want to get interested in remote viewing or maybe hire you or task you to help them predict their investments sure. in Stukert's yeah. future crypto. I mean, for crypto viewing, we've been going nearly four years now. Um, and I think we're one of the most successful RV companies out there at the moment. Uh, it's all paid for by um patreon subscribers so you know they essentially keep us going and and help us be paid as remote viewers to keep doing projects for nearly four years now so i'm very appreciative of that and essentially what we do for them on a on a weekly and a monthly basis now is we look at markets for them and that not necessarily cryptos but we've looked at gold and silver markets as well on the dow jones but it's, it's the, for the majority cryptocurrencies and we look at the cryptocurrencies to try to give them a bit of an edge to see how we think they're going to go over the next 12 to 36 months. Uh, mm -hmm. and, a, and we also do on a monthly basis, all four of us remote viewers also do news predictions. So like in a day or two's time, because we're coming at the end of the month, 
I will look ahead a month to see what all the all the top news stories will be in September. And before September starts, we'll put out all our news predictions for our patrons to have a look at as well. So we do news. Mm. And we occasionally, once or twice a month as well, when the patrons ask us to, we do uh, the occasional mysteries target for them as well. So we, yeah. we add that to the mix as well. That's really cool. So now yeah. predicting and doing remote viewing on the future is something that's kind of like an, an unstable, uh, yes. very, very difficult thing. So you, you have to, where I think that's different. Maybe you can speak to this as well for validity. A lot of people feel like the, since the future is unknown and undifferentiated in a certain way, cryptocurrency markets are going to happen. You know that tomorrow when you wake up, it is going to happen. Prices are going to go up and down. There is a determined, determined, determined deductive reasoning or outcome that is in play that is occurring. It's not like you're just predicting when will the world end or some phenomenal thing. So yeah, I think that if people are interested in uh, using remote viewing and valid research for uh, near future markets and stuff, there is definitely a place for this. It does work. But I have to make everyone aware it is it is a lot more problematic and a lot more less accurate than it is when we remote things uh, in present time in the past. Mm. And we don't know why that is, uh, but we think it's because all the probabilities for a single event haven't collapsed to a single scenario at the time we're looking at it. And I guess the farther right we are or the farther away we are over here from the actual target event itself the mm. more possibilities you know are you know so it may start off with like five finger possibilities here which coalesce into one the closer we get to it mm. um but we don't know and you know there are other things in play as well i have to be honest i think like big events like like cryptos and like markets and like sports games as well where you know you may have like the uh i don't know the world cup or you know, uh, you know one of your sports over there in the u.s like like the super bowl or something like the super bowl where you have x amount of hundred million people all invested in the outcome either one way or the other mm-hmm. i think that that because there are a hundred million people on each side of the coin all pulling and pushing for a certain outcome to happen that maybe the, the outcome we predicted as a remote viewer a week before might not happen because the intent of a certain group of people might just nudge it that little bit you know to what they want so there's yeah. all these kind of things that that's happening out there that that hinders us when we when we look at future events but i think we're getting enough good clear concise data in crypto viewing to help people make money for example i don't have a lot of disposable income but you know uh my disposable income i put into crypto viewing uh in buying cryptos over the last 18 months uh uh it's gone up over 560 percent oh wow and you can only get we should talk does (laughs) yeah you can only get two or three percent from a bank so yeah no, that's fantastic. It's almost like the the future, even though you don't know exactly how it's going to play out, it's almost like everyone in human consciousness is traveling down the river and there's a, yeah. a million different infinite multiverse possibilities of offshoots of where that could go. But as yeah. you approach the fork in the river, there is a split that occurs and you go down one or the other. And yeah. as you go down that river, you and your team of crypto viewers and and people can sort of predict where that's going with a high degree yeah. of accuracy. That's yeah. really. And amazing. in the last, you know, the last couple of months alone, um, I mean, like, you know, if you want, I could put, I don't know, can we share screens? I could put up a session and show you if you want to have a look at one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you send, there's a private chat. If you look on the stream yard here, there's a private chat link. 
you can send me that. Uh, let's see. I don't know if you'll be able to share it, but if you send it to me to where I could pull it up, I could show it. Um, I don't know okay. if there's any way to do that. I've got a share screen button though. Does that oh yeah, try me? it. Let's see if we can try it. Okay, bear with me a second. Let me see if I can grab one a second. Um, Everybody's great here. August. So I'll grab one of my most most recent most recent ones. Sure. I'll just open it up a sec as a PDF. Yep. I should right. be able to. Okay, so let me uh, view. Right, share screen. Um, share screen. And then so I have Windows. a, we have a, I see everybody's questions over in the chat as well. We'll wrap up our conversation today after this with uh, addressing some of your guys' mm. questions over there. Yeah, I can add this to the stream here. Okay, so um, cool. this is just my session summary. So I'll, I'll bypass this. So that's just my summary of what happened here. So here's my remote viewing session here. Uh, and I didn't know what the target was at the time. You can see there at the top, I knew it was a cryptocurrency target, which at this point in time, is one of 12,000 because there's 12,000 in existence. Hmm. So I know I'm looking at crypto, but I don't know which one it is. It's one of 12,000. Um, and my initial sketch here, what we, we call an ideogram in crypt in cryptos, my ideograms tend to mimic and show me what the market flow of the crypto is going to be. So hmm. it's showing me here. Uh, so those are the numbers just to slow down. So everybody watching gets this, if they're unfamiliar. So you've been tasked with like, four digits like three four three seven and you go yes. three four three and then the seven becomes like an intuitive sort of like right. automatic yes. free flow intuitive yes. meditative sort of boom like Absolutely. a drop okay yeah. here we go yeah. cool again it, the the actual real target is hidden behind that number i don't know what it is i know it's one or twelve thousand of them but i have no idea what it is so that's my focal point and i write that down and in the on the very last stroke of the last digit you let your hand just go into an automatic process to to get what we call the gest or, or the overall uh, shape or form of the target. But bear in mind, because I know I'm looking at cryptos, my ideograms for cryptos, as I said, have morphed into mimicking how I how the market flow of that crypto is going to be over the next twelve months or so. Almost like a chart in a yes. certain uh, energetic now, on way. On this one yeah. here, though. This is a different than any other crypto I've had. I've only had this happen uh, several times over over three years. In that it went backwards before it went forwards. This loop here goes backwards. You see, mm. the only other time that happened, it showed me that the crypto was av having some problems. It was having issues. Uh, so I did a, I did another ideogram here below it, and as you can see, it went backwards again before it went forwards. Um, and again, that worries me. So I wrote backwards and then forwards. Um, and a few words here, like it's buoyant and flexible, but I knew that that was a, an air, a something. It was trying to tell me something. So I yeah, did that, that, e that Elon Musk was going to throw crypto under the bus right then. <laughs> not, not exactly, but you'll understand when you see the end here. So I wrote sure. here backflow, and then it goes forwards, up and down. It feels energetic, fluid, snappy, and energetic. But I definitely had this backwards motion, and that was because um, when the target was revealed afterwards, uh, we found out that, and I wrote some details about this crypto having problems, hmm. um, is because it was going through financial problems and legal problems at the time. But, I, you know, I obviously didn't know that. So what I then tried to do is I then tried to sketch the logo or brand for this. And this target itself was a target crypto called Theta. And its hmm. logo is, a big, is just a big T. So I was trying to get the, I knew it was a letter and I was almost getting the letter form here. 
And then you can see I literally was getting the letter T here and the letter T here, which is upside down. Mm. So I was getting an idea of what the logo was. And then I moved to the primary person here. So I always go to the CEO and try to look inside his head, see what he's thinking, see if he's enthusiastic about the target, that kind of thing. Mm. So, you know, I knew he was male, 24 to 34, with dark hair, had an Asian connection. He was enthusiastic, smiling, confident, respectable. And underneath him, he had this team here of young, it was a young pro male team of five people. And this is just talking about the guy here and his interaction with the team. Here, I'm just talking about the team here again, uh, what they're thinking about, and they're talking about expansion, architecture. They're in a building phase, and they're looking for recruitments. It's like your consciousness is like a fly on the wall, kind of like yes. hiding like a ghost in the in a business meeting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like yes. looking at the markets, yeah. Okay. And then I tried to dis- uh, sketch and describe the tech or product. And in this case, I didn't understand what I was getting, but I just kept getting in my head pictures of what looked like server boxes. Mm. Uh, so I try, you know, this is me sketching out these server boxes with boxes with uh, red and green flashing lights on it, which again is perfect for the technology of this company. Once you understand what they With do, Bitcoin farming, yeah. And then um, I move myself to the people that hold the currency and their group feelings as a, as an entire group of millions of people mm. at certain points in time. So you know, I looked at August two thousand and twenty-one, and they felt okay. December 21, they felt that they were down, despondent slightly. July of 22, they felt like they were getting a bit more enthusiasm again. December of 22, they just had the words, oh, shit. You know, they felt really bad. And July of 23, it could have gone either way on that one. They were just a bit, uh, it could go either way. So this just gives me a general overview of how the people that own it feel at those points in time. Then I do some sketches of how I think it's going to move. So this is January to end of August 2021, mm. how I feel the market crypto is going to move in the market. Then August to December 2021, you can see it goes sideways mainly, but there are some ups and downs. And then January uh, to the December of 2022, I feel like it goes generally sideways, but three quarters way through the year is a big peak, and then there's a big drop, and then it tries to recover again. Hmm. And these are just some basic kind of uh, things on the end. Uh, and, you know, on the end here, I've just got some really interesting words. Like I got here the word gold bars, assets in high worth. And the way Theta works is every dollar that's spent and invested in that cryptocurrency, they back that with with bullion and gold bullion. With real gold, yeah. With real gold, yes. Yeah, it's, it's backed by real gold. So having this gold bars, assets and high worth right at the end here is interesting. And I, you know, because I knew that this went backwards, and it says here I know that's an indicator afterwards when you validate the data that it's you're specifically talking about a crypto that involves gold bullion backed assets, which is yes, everybody knows what that is, yeah, yes. Uh, And as I said, because my ideogram here went backwards before it went forwards, I knew that there was issues that wanted to be they wanted to find a resolution for it, and right at the end here, my guess for this would be something to do with embezzlement. Now, I, there, I got no proof of embezzlement on this, but when you do the research on it, they are going through some legal difficulties with the SEC and stuff like that. They are being investigated, yeah, right yes. now, yeah. So, yeah, that's amazing. So that would be kind of what you would expect if anybody went uh, to look at uh, crypto viewing. and Yeah, and bear in mind, there's, there's four of us all giving slightly different opinions. So you take all our data, but we tell people, you know, it's not financial advice, it's just for fun. 
mm-hmm. um, but you you can look at our data and if you feel you want to act upon it you then go out and get other data because you always use remote viewing data with real world data and then it allows you to bit, make a bit more of an informed decision if you if you if you want to that's amazing. I, I would love to have another conversation with you, uh, Daz, and delve into this because the fact that you guys are able to do that, it's like, wow, this is really cool. We can make some money in the stock market and maybe predict it. But what it says about the actual nature of reality and what it means and our human uh, infinite potential and reality and, and where we're headed and what we're all doing here goes so much more transcendently deeper than that when you start to explore these things. We, like, we can definitely have another chat. That's no, not a problem at all. I'd love to do that. So I have a couple of questions really quick to wrap this up from, yeah, the, from the audience to run through. I'm all right. Awesome. So we'll run through the uh, questions here in the comment yep. section. So here's one from uh, Christopher Morales. He says, uh, has anyone you know remote viewed the Anjali Desert Mountain alien base? Uh, I know Pat Price did a lot of uh, terrestrial hidden alien bases and things like that. Have you ever remote viewed or uh, not that one? I don't think. Um there are four or five that I know people that have remote viewed on, on, on earth. Um, I haven't done those myself cause I haven't been, you know, cause it's like, I have, I have a hundred or more targets that, that I've wrote down that I'd like to work, but I can't task myself. So I have to wait for people to give it to me. Like I had to wait 20 years to do the Roswell one. Cause you nobody know, gave it to you. You know, one gave it to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have notes that I want like to work, but no one's given them to me yet. Um, Right. So I haven't, but other people have worked lots of bases, you know, like uh, Mount Zeal. Um, yeah, the uh, the one in Australia. Um, Mount, Mount Shasta gets a lot yeah, of attention. The Antarctic the... and all that kind of stuff. And again, myself and other people have done lots of stuff on the moon and Mars and found loads of stuff there as well. Uh, really quick side thought. What do you think is going on there? Is it, is it extraterrestrials that are able to phase in and out of physical reality and control that? Or do you, do you think yeah. there are what we're considering like spirits or dimensional beings are something? No, they're, they're physical. I mean, mm. I gave a talk literally just this week on a, a document that, uh, that I was given several months ago uh, by, cause I've been doing lots of research into the Ingo Swan archives over the last couple of years. And I've been making uh, lots of inquiries or lots of Ingo Swan's contacts because I, I found some files in his archive, which I wanted to try to follow and they were a bit missing. And you uh, have I, all of his archives, right? Like you kind yes. of inherited all of his stuff. I, well, I'm, you know, I'm one of the researchers that was given access to, to, to look at them. Yeah. So for three years, I've been trying to piece them together mm. and I found this document and I find that Ingo Swan did this uh, very heavy, uh ufo alien trying to go out to penetrate them research in the in the in the late 90s and in one of his remote viewing sessions which i will be publishing in within a matter of weeks for the very first time in, in my remote viewing magazine uh, hmm. called eight martinis uh i got a transcript of a remote viewing session ingo swan himself did in 1999 where he went back to the moon to have a visit because the first time he went there was in 1975 and he drew all these structures um, but when he went back in 1999, he actually uh, went to what he, what he said was a dome-like facility on 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 the moon, and had uh, interactions and conversations with these uh, with these alien beings that were physical and non-physical. And as I said, there there were two different types of telepaths led down uh, in almost in some kind of um, suspended animation, and they were there. One one lot was to 
defend the moon and one was to be offensive away i guess to more towards us on earth and and to stop maybe not just us but ingo had the feeling it was other life forms in in the galaxy from invading and he had conversations with these life forms and they said you know the the entire universe around earth is is over a million years old they were on a forty thousand year exodus and the moon base thing was a almost like a forward operating base, you know, and it had like a military type feeling about it, like it the Death Star, <laughs> almost like that. Yes, yes. Wow. And he goes into great detail about this and how it was interesting because he goes in, he talks in detail about how they, these these aliens that there were the metal plates in their head, which helped with the psychic interaction with with uh, computer interfaces. And when they detected a psychic or, or someone was trying to telepathically intrude onto the uh, onto the moon, it all flashed up on these holographic screens that appeared all over the place. What was happening? And you could see a clear picture of what this psychic or telepath was thinking and doing and all this kind of stuff. So it goes into mind-boggling detail. Um, and as I said, I will be wow. I will be printing that re- really soon. So Ingo, he remote viewed the moon. And when he got there, they, the entities there in a secret moon base had the ability to detect that he was there and then display holographically who he was and everything that he was doing and why he was there. Like they extracted it and displayed it. And this was, this was, you know, this transcript was his third uh, incursion. The first one was invited. The second one he decided to do on his own just to see what he could see, but he got kicked out. One of the telepaths kicked him out from there, and that's why he went. He was invited to go back this third time, and it's detailed in 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 the transcript I got. But you know, when he starts having the conversation, he was like, "They were like, what? Why are you here? What do you want to do?" And he was like, "Well, I want to see the telepath that kicked me out." And you know, they brought that telepath over to see him, and he's and apparently he's like one of twenty that live mainly on the membership, but he's he's super different than all the others because um, Ingo goes on about how he could shape shift. He could transform his shape and dimension into anything that he wanted it to. So he was one of 20 and he was special and he was older and wiser and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, it's amazing stuff. Wow. And I'll be publishing it soon. That, so you'll be, you and your, your listeners will be able to read that. We'll definitely do that. And when that comes out, I'll keep an eye on it. I'd love to have you back on so we can maybe yeah, she, show on screen and go through and introduce everybody to some of it. We can go in, through it in a lot more detail. Yes. That would be amazing. I'd love that. Um, let's see. A couple more uh, really quick questions here is the uh, Night Gazer. Let me see if I can find this actual one. He's talking about uh, any advice for people trying to have an out-of-body experience. Uh, I know I've studied it from that angle the out-of-body travel, like the Monroe Institute, William Buhlman yeah. type stuff. Do you think that remote viewing is different than out-of-body travel, or how, what could you speak to about this question? I mean, all that stuff's connected, absolutely. Yeah. It's, all, it's all variations of a theme, but um, remote viewing is definitely not going out of your body in any way. If you want to try out of your body stuff, the, the, the and I think the key to everything within doing anything psychic on, on any classic or any remote viewing level is teach yourself basic meditation techniques meditation yeah. is the key key to everything really and if you can teach yourself to um lose all control and, and feeling of your body in meditation then you can then travel anywhere in the universe hmm. that's what william buhlman said he talks so much about the uh intention the focused yes. intention and having the intention yeah. out in front of you almost like a compass yeah. that guides literally everywhere you go and yep. uh, where if your subconscious mind kind of wanders or gets hung up, like, I wonder if I left the, the coffee on in the kitchen, it yep. just immediately ricochets you back into the. Into and meditation the is great as well, because it's 
it's essentially free. It's a tool that all of us uh, can use with hardly any kind of teaching. And, you know, there are plenty of books. There's plenty of guided meditations on YouTube or anything. Just So just download them and give them a try. And not only is it good for expanding your consciousness and awareness and getting out there in the universe, it's really, really good and healthy for your spiritual and um, physical healthy body as well at the same time. I agree. Uh, I do meditation every day, all day. I start with it from the minute I wake up and I go, oh shit, I got to do today. I immediately start trying to meditate and yeah. get through I it, don't and- do it. I don't do it enough nowadays, um, but I do know it's the, it, is, it is pretty much the key to, to, to anything you want to do. Hmm. That's great. Uh, here's another question here. It looks like from an anonymous uh, emoji that says they're still wondering about the, I think the sphere down in area 51 that seemed to have characteristics that allowed it to do you feel like that was a or what are you what are your thoughts on ai having a level of consciousness uh or kind of scary i think um i've never felt anything like i i kind of experienced with this thing though it was yeah it was i don't even know how to put it into words really um because you know i've seen ais and we've all seen it in films and and stuff like that and in in literature this felt almost more alive than we are as, as humans, which is very strange, but yeah, literally felt it was in hibernation waiting and uh, not maybe in waiting. Maybe, I, I do get the impression that it was, uh, it was being contained, hmm. you know, being stored, contained. Yeah. And it, it felt a bit lonely actually. I think, uh, yeah. Like it's just been uh, sitting there in kind of a stasis there for years. Yeah. Hold, holding in a holding yeah. pattern and cell. I, I had the kind of feeling that it, couldn't do what it wanted to do with the capabilities it had because then it would make everyone aware of what it could do, you know, and it was almost like hiding or I don't know. I, I It's one of those things I wear. It would be worth someone uh, sending me a blind target to go back and just primarily just look at that as one whole target. Whereas mm. I was literally looking around in the entire facility, just saw this and spent five minutes on it in, in, in amongst a greater thing really. I know that you're like super busy with your like work and crypto viewing and you have to put stuff on the table, but I want to throw out there, Daz, if I learned how to task you things, I could come up with like your wish list and I could sneak them in there for you if you ever wanted to. It's in there. I've, uh, as I said, I got a list here that I've compiled myself of 98 targets that I want to look at, but send them to me and I'll pepper them in some kind of an intermittent type of experience. Yeah. Cause I would like to get into it. I'm really considering going up with Paul Smith and maybe doing something with him locally or doing it online. Uh, I've got to do something with all of this. That's because uh, I kind of am in the wheelhouse of where you were, I think doing a lot of the meditation and, finding myself in these encounters and different experiences, seeing what's going on in the news and talking about the military encountering these UFOs and UAPs. And I'm like, here I sit in the middle. What do I do with all of this? You know, how do I understand that? And this is where well, people, before like, you, people like you, before come you out, pay yeah. for any course, Paul's a great person and you, you do really well training with him, but you know, it, for most people is a lot of a, a money and time commitment. Hmm. So before you try that, like on my, on my website, my remoteview.com website, I have a, a two-page template and a training video showing people if you download the template, you, it runs you through a very kind of basic CRV remote viewing session that you can learn in minutes. And the video that I've done actually shows me filling it in so you get an idea on how you can do it. Cool. Yeah. So maybe I'll just go start there. and uh, Absolutely. Give that a try for a couple of attempts just to see how you feel with it if you have the you know aptitude to do it. Because... I just, I like to be honest with people, you know, 
to be really good at remote viewing does take two to 10 years or more of, of intense training and a lot of money and dedication. So try it first hmm. in any method just to see if you really want to take it that far. You know, it's a bit like learning karate or a martial art to be a yeah. black belt. You, you've got to put in, you've got to put in the years. I did that. Yeah. I got a black belt when I was 16. So excellent. Yeah. yeah I'm a black belt in full contact as well. Nice. Yeah. I never, I, uh, the UFC MMA stuff started coming out. It was feel, still very illegal. Right. When I, was coming into adulthood and got married and all that, but I never got into full contact. That's cool. But, yeah, uh, no, I did did all that in the ring. In, in the ring. Yeah, yeah. And to pass the black to pass the black belt in in what I did, you had to fight two opponents at the same time as well. I did too, but not uh, not full contact. It was all like demonstrating. All the yeah, it was the little pads and showing that you could do it. But they're all your buddies, yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. that's Great cool. That I miss that. Now that I'm fifty, you know, fifty one, approaching fifty two. I do miss sparring yeah for sure i've got like a little gym in my uh right underneath my office here down in the garage that i have a couple heavy bags and run around but yeah the physical stuff i go into the actual gym and i end up just wrenching my back or yeah i I feel good i'm like yeah i feel great wake up the next morning and i'm like yeah i don't know i can't move move or anything i've been there that's me most mornings (laughs) for sure daz this has been a really fascinating conversation i hope everybody got a lot out of it and i definitely would love to have you come back uh, and discuss some of the things that you're uncovering and the philosophy and the nature of human consciousness and reality. Uh, a lot of this stuff as it comes out and the government starts to slow bleed or release disclosure things, people are going to be looking for answers or going to be nervous or scared. And I think uh, people like you and Paul Smith and other people that are kind of pioneers of this field, just like I told Paul, just like Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin going and trying to walk on the moon. It's uh, interesting to explore these different levels of human consciousness, like a pioneer. And absolutely. Yeah. Consciousness is the, is the new frontier. I think of, we don't know where it's going, how it works, but you know, as I said, I feel it's the uh, bit like the force. Everything in the universe is connected by a force and everyone out there, all the people listening, all the people with questions, they can all do this as well. So you're like a Obi-Wan at this point. We're, we're not special. None of, none of us are special. We, we, we all have access to the force in the universe. We can, we can all do this. Each, mm. each and every one of those people there uh, listening can do this. Yeah, a lot of people, I think, today, they want to look for some sort of genetic tracer or some anomalous thing in their birth that explains why they have psychic abilities. But you're saying everybody has this if they're willing yeah. to. I mean, it's on a scale, you know, some of us, some of us are just going to be able to walk, but some of us can run, some of us can sprint, you know, and do the hundred meters in X amount Mm. of seconds. So it's a scale of your ability, but everyone out there has got some kind of ability. Mm. Uh, Absolutely. Yep. It's beautiful. Daz, thanks so much for joining us today on this show. We'll definitely do it again. I'll stay in touch. And uh, thanks everybody for joining in the chat with all your comments and questions is really fascinating. We'll see you guys in the next one.